You know, one of the great values of our culture today is the value of acceptance. Uh, we highly value accepting one another, accepting people and the value of people regardless of uh, culture, race, ethnicity, color of skin, regardless of gender, that there's this value to accept one another. And I think it's a strength of our culture. I think it's a great value of our culture that we see the value of every person and this desire to accept uh, one another. Uh, but this desire to accept one another has uh, kind of spilled over to this uh, call to uh, accept the value of every spiritual perspective and moral perspective as equal. And I think this is dangerous. And here's why. Uh, all humans are created equal, yes, but the spiritual belief or the moral code we live by is not so there's this great idea of the value of every person, and yes, we are all created equal, and we should value and accept one another as people. But the spiritual belief or moral code that we live by is not equal. And I think we get this as a cultural, uh, on, on the large kind of extreme uh, ends of things, on the macro level, you may say. Uh, you know, there's a, a group of people in a distant land who believe in cannibalism, and we would agree that although they're valuable as people, that the spiritual and moral uh, uh, belief and perspective that they have is not equal to the person who would say, I think we should love each other enough to keep each other alive. Uh, or, you know, in regards to a pedophile, we may agree that there is value and the pedophile has value, intrinsic value, but we uh, would probably agree that their belief, their moral conduct is not equal to someone who would uh, value the uh, protection of young kids from sexual abuse. And so I think we get this on the extreme levels, um, but in the more nuances parts, uh, nuanced parts of life, there's this kind of call for our generation to just accept one another no matter what. And, uh, and, and one of the, and you've probably felt this as well, but probably the, the three words that are the anthem of our generation as it relates to this great value of acceptance, which is a great value, but I think the, the kind of anthem of our culture are these three words, don't judge me, right? Don't judge me. And I bet you've said those words before. And someone, you know, you had made some life decisions or you had some beliefs and someone came, you know, and, and, and kind of dismissed your beliefs or your, your decisions and, and maybe spoke against them a little bit. And you're like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. There's this cry in our culture of acceptance and this push against anyone who would judge anyone else. And, you know, it's interesting as it relates to the faith, uh, a study was done in 2007 and the number two, reason, uh, number two reason why non-Christians rejected the Christian faith was this. Christians are so judgmental, right? And I bet you've met some Christians that are judgmental, that have kind of this harsh, critical, kind of this superior, this air of superiority, and they're just made a judgment on you. And even if they weren't Christian, if you've ever had someone kind of ha be this harsh critic in your life and have this kind of air of superiority and they kind of made this judgment of you or something you did, I bet in that moment you said, or at the very least thought these three words, don't judge me, don't judge me. 
It's interesting, probably when you said those three words, there was this air of authority that you were speaking them from, right? Like, you can't judge me, and somehow I just have the right to say that. Well, whether you know it or not, you're actually quoting Jesus. Jesus once said, do not judge. And it's interesting. He said this to those who would be his followers, and yet, as his followers, the thing that people hate about the faith is not Jesus, it's our judgmental posture. That harsh, critical, judgmental posture. So the question is this. What did Jesus mean when he said, Don't, do not judge? Did Jesus mean that as Christians, we kind of have to, you step into the kingdom and you follow Jesus, you have to take off your kind of critical thinking hat and you're not allowed to, you know, discern or make any kind of judgment? Is that what Jesus is saying? That, that, is he saying that we're supposed to take the call of our culture, which is just accept everyone and everything the same, that every moral uh, uh, perspective and spiritual belief perspective, you just accept it all? Or is Jesus saying, hey, as Christians, historically, you've kind of nailed it. Just keep judging away. Which one is it, Right? Well, it's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this whole area of judging. It's where these words come from. And Jesus says it's actually neither of those options. There's a whole nother pathway that's the pathway of the kingdom as it relates to judgment. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 7, which is where we find these words. Uh, those of you that are new with us, or even if you've been with us for a while, you're like, whoa, Sermon on the Mount, this is like deja vu, I've heard this this term before, we just came off a three-week hiatus, uh, kind of intermission from the Sermon on the Mount. So we're diving back in to finish uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this uh, collection of teachings, the most famous sermon ever preached, preached by Jesus, found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And, uh, and so let me just kind of catch you up as we dive into this whole area of judgment, what Jesus has been talking about. You may remember in chapter 5, uh, Jesus uh, talked about the rules of the kingdom. You know, as you live in the kingdom, here's some moral rules for the kingdom. And then from that, he began to talk about, here's what spiritual life looks like in the kingdom. Like as you do religious life, and it all revolved around devotion, what it means to be a devoted kind of follower and some of the, the uh, uh, religious things we do as followers of Jesus. And he talked about prayer, fasting, giving money away. He talked about loving people, even our enemies. He talked about, you know, do not worry, you know, building treasure, all these different things. But here's the thing Jesus understood. From kind of speaking about the rules and devotion, he knew something that would happen with all of us. And that is, as we step into the kingdom and we start following some rules, and we step into the kingdom and we start like, oh, I start praying a little bit and maybe giving a little bit, and we start doing some of the religious activities of kingdom life, Jesus knew that we would begin to notice what other people do. And we'd notice, oh, like I've been, I've been following the rule here, but, but they say they're a follower of Jesus. They're not following the rule. And, or, you know, I've been praying like 10 minutes a day, but you know, my roommate doesn't pray ever. You know, or I've been given some money, and, but they're not given any money. You know? And all of a sudden we would notice, which isn't bad. You notice things. But Jesus knew that inside the human heart, there's this tendency to take this kind of, I noticed, you're not quite where I'm at, and then to do what the Old Testament calls is haughty eyes. It's not like H-O-T, why haughty eyes? It's like this thing that we do when it's like, 
oh, I'm doing that, but you're not doing that. And then we kind of do this like arm's length, like I'm glad I'm not like you. I'm glad I'm a little bit better than you. This kind of critical judgment of others. So Jesus steps into that. And here's what Jesus says. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Again, question. Is Jesus saying that we have to take our critical thinking hat and as it relates to people in the kingdom, we just kind of like, okay, we just accept it all. Here's the deal. By saying do not judge, Jesus is not saying that we cannot judge. That's not what he's saying. When Jesus says do not judge, he's he's not saying that we cannot judge. What Jesus is getting after is this critical superiority. I'm above you like I'm God and I'm going to just declare this judgment over you. The harsh, uh, the hard-hearted harshness of judgment. No care and compassion. That's what Jesus is getting at. So he's not saying you cannot judge because even in the Sermon on the Mount, he's already kind of told us to judge. You know, he said, your righteousness as followers of Jesus actually has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Well, how would you ever know if you surpassed it or not without making some sort of judgment? He said uh, that we should love more than pagans and tax collectors. Well, how would you ever know? Like, did I get there if you didn't make some sort of judgment? You know, Jesus Later on in the Gospel of John, he tells the Pharisees, who he's always like harping on, the religious leaders, he tells them, when you judge, make a fair judgment. So he's telling them, you should judge, but you should judge fairly. And we know in the, in the New Testament elsewhere, in 1 John, we're told to test the spirits, not just accept everything. Uh, we're told to test preachers and prophets to make sure they're not false. So there is this judgment that happens. So Jesus is not saying that we cannot judge. He's saying there's a certain kind of judgment we're called to do. And what he's telling us is, do not judge with that harsh, critical, I'm over you, distant judgment. See, Jesus is going after the heart attitude of the one who is judging. See, when we have this harsh, critical, over superiority kind of judgment, often our judgment is not out of concern for the person we're judging. It's actually egocentric judging. It's like, well, I I spoke the truth and I feel good about me. I gave them the truth. You know, I, I told them what they're doing wrong and, and I did my part. Well, was it about them or was it about you? Does it make you feel good or is it about the other? And Jesus is saying, here's the deal about judging. It's about your heart as the one who's doing the judging. So when it comes to that kind of critical judgment, Jesus says, don't judge that way. But he's not saying don't judge at all. And that's what he gets to as he continues. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In the same way and with the measure you use. Now, here's the deal. I don't know about you, but one day when I get judged, I want them to pull out the, like, judgment ruler stick for Elvin, and I want to be pretty generous, right? It's like, oh, that was generous. That's Jesus, in essence, he's saying, he's going to say this later in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, do unto others as you would have them do to you. 
So when you come with this critical judgment, do you like it when people do that? No. So you need to have a different kind of judgment. Think about the heart attitude as you judge others of yourself. See, life in the kingdom is not without judgment. Jesus isn't saying don't judge, but rather life in the kingdom includes consistent and compassionate judgments. And that's where Jesus goes next. And he kind of starts to lay out what this kind of judgment looks like. And he starts with consistent judgment. And consistent judgment always starts with the person. He says, why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's this plank in your own eye? Jesus, in essence, says when it comes to judging, there's kind of two questions you need to work through. And the first question is, why do you pay no attention to yourself? Why do you pay no attention? And secondly, since you have paid no attention to yourself, what makes you think that you'll be of any value to them? What makes you think that you can be of any help to them? I want you to imagine for a second that there's a plank in my eye. I forgot. Half your imaginations don't work till after lunch. So I just brought a plank. So let's just do this here. So you don't have to imagine, okay? So I brought a plank. So I got a plank in my eye. I'll cover up this eye. Now, what are the chances that I will be any benefit to you removing a speck from your eye? You know what I'm going to do? And I I was going to ask for a volunteer, but you guys are smart crowds. I know none of you would volunteer to help me with your spec because I would, in essence, just knock you over with my plank, right? I mean, I would do more harm than good. But here's the deal. If you've ever had a speck in your eye, it's sure annoying, isn't it? It happens to be actually a pretty big problem. If you're cutting wood and you're like, I didn't put my safety goggles on because I'm like, I'm better than that. I don't know, you guys don't think that way. I think that way sometimes. And then I get a speck in my eye or like I'm cutting some metal and then I make metals in my eye. It's like, this is a really big problem. Like it's turning red and I'm crying and like trying to get it out and throwing water in there. And it's like hurts for a long time. Here's the deal. The speck is a problem. The speck needs to be removed. Jesus is not saying don't help your neighbor or your friend or your brother with the problem they have in their eye. It needs to come out. It's a problem. What Jesus is saying is, you're not the best person to help them with their problem, right? In fact, here's the deal. Here's the interesting thing. As you try to help them, you're actually going to make it worse. Isn't that true of overly critical, judgmental people? As they point out things in your life, and maybe you're even like, you're kind of right but they mess it up so bad because they just keep hitting you over and over. They misjudge, they misunderstand, they're harsh, they're critical because they still got a plank in their own eye. Jesus says, here's the two-step plan for judging. You want the two-step Jesus plan for judging? Jesus gives it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye because it still needs to be removed. 
But here's the deal. It starts not with them and their speck. What does it start with? You. Step one is always you. And if you don't start with you, you are gonna make such a mess of other people. And I, th- I think this is why the, the, the church or the people outside the church look at the church and they're like, I don't want anything to do with them because we make a mess of each other. Church people have been known to like destroy themselves. We eat our own because we're just walking around with planks, hitting each other over the face as we're trying to help each other with each other's problems. And we don't do it well. Jesus says there's a a two-step program. And first, you got to deal with you. First, you got to deal with you. Now, I told you earlier that when you have a speck in your eye, it's kind of like painful to get it out, right? Kind of annoying, it gets you red eye and so on. Now imagine if you had a plank in your eye. How painful would it be to have that removed? And I think this has something to do with the way that we're to judge others. See, life in the kingdom is not life without judgment, but rather includes consistent judgment. We start with us, And secondly, it turns into compassionate judgments. Because once you have allowed God to deal with you and to do the painful surgery of removing your plank, it changes how you deal with your brother and their speck. Suddenly you become much more compassionate. You know, I think the clearest story we have in scripture, the Bible, of kind of this speck, plank, judgment, you know, thing, is a story actually found in the life of King David. David, the guy who killed Goliath, that David. See, as king, David could have whatever and whomever he wanted. It's kind of one of the perks of being king, like whoever and whatever he wanted, although there were a few limits. You're not allowed as king to have whatever or whomever already belongs to someone else, right? It's just kind of the rule. Well, As uh, the story goes, one day David's at home and his army's out at war and he sees this beautiful, beautiful girl. And as king, he's like, I want her. And so he finds out about her and he finds out, guess what? He finds that she is the wife of one of his close friends, one of the top people in his own military, someone who's fought with him side by side, probably someone who saved his life from time to time. But he's like, I want her. She's beautiful. So he sends for her anyways. He sleeps with her. And unfortunately for David, she happens to get pregnant. Now he has a problem on his hand because in six months, his buddy, her husband, is gonna come home and then she's gonna be pregnant and he's gonna be like, well, I wasn't with you. And it's gonna come out that David was and he's got a problem on his hands, but he's got a plan to get rid of the problem. So he gets this guy to come home on a home assignment for a few days, hoping that he can get him to sleep with his wife. And then when he goes back and comes back six months later and she's pregnant, it's like, well, it must've just been my child. But he underestimated the honor of his friend. And his friend refused, refused to spend time with his wife while his friends were still out risking their lives for the kingdom. So he refused. Well, this left David with a problem. How was he going to cover up his mistake? The only thing that was left was to terminate the guy. 
marry the girl, and then everything would look like it's normal, which is exactly what he does. He has the guy killed, he marries the beautiful girl, and no one knows except for God. God sends a prophet, and the prophet comes to David, and he tells this elaborate story, and here's how the story goes. He says, David, there was two guys, one like a rich guy, and then this really poor guy. And the rich guy had a bunch of sheep, like hundreds of sheep, thousands of sheep. He just had so many sheep. But then this poor guy, he just had one little lamb. But this lamb wasn't like a lamb. It was like a child. I mean, he slept in the house. He ate with the kids. He was like the lamb, the, like part of the family lamb. One day, a traveler comes to visit the rich guy. And the rich guy's like looking at all his sheep. He's like, well, I don't want to kill one of my sheep. So he takes the one lamb from the poor guy, kills the lamb, and feeds it to his visitor. Well, all the justice juices in David, because he's king, he's the judge in the, in the land, all the justice juices just start rumbling over. And David says this, and I quote, he says, the man who did this must die. Really? Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, you kill a sheep, capital punishment. It's like, even the law didn't prescribe that. And the law, when we read the law, it's like, man, that's really intense. All the law said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's like sheep for a sheep, right? Like maybe give him two sheep because you got a lot. So why does David, here's the question. Why does David go so far overboard? Get a plank. And he saw the speck. And as he reached out to, to remove the speck from his brother, he just started hitting him. He had a blind spot. His whole vision was blind. And he became so harsh with this man. Well, the prophet would come around and tell David, he said, actually, David, you're that man. Remember Jesus said, in the same way you judge others with the measure you use. And all of a sudden David's like, oh shoot, my judgment stick wasn't, wasn't fair. And David realized he deserved to die. And you know, God would judge David because God is a fair judge. But he would have compassion on David and David would pay greatly for his wrong but he would not die. But in that process, God did the difficult, painful surgery of removing a plank from David's eye. And David would respond by writing this. He'd say, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. See, in that process of David having God pointing out David's sin and him coming face to face with his plank and that painful surgery of removing the plank, I imagine David's judgment changed from that point on. I imagine he was a little fairer and more compassionate on the other side of that painful process. See, when we're broken, by our own sin, broken by what God points out in us, 
It changes how we judge. We are called to judge. Life in the kingdom is not a life without judgment. Jesus does not say we cannot judge, but rather includes a consistent, starting with us judgment. And it turns into a compassionate judgment because we've gone through the painful process of surgery. Now Jesus ends the sermon, or this section on judgment this way. It's kind of a strange uh, uh, statement, but we'll talk about it. He says this. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now we can get caught up in the fact, is Jesus calling some people dogs and some people pigs? Like, that sounds kind of derogatory. Like, why would he do that? You know, and like, it's derogatory in our culture where we're like, we have pigs as pets and dogs are man's best friend. In their culture, Dogs were these scavenging, they were coyotes, they were scavenging dogs, they were nuisances, and pigs in the Jewish culture, they're unclean, they're like terrible. So what is Jesus getting at when he says this? Here's the point of what Jesus is saying. If you came across a coyote who's hungry or a wild boar and all you had were like really expensive pearls or some gold tablets or something like super expensive and you're like, throw it to the pig. The pig might excitedly or the you know, coyote might excitedly see it and be like, oh, food, and then realize it's not food, but they don't value what you've just given. Like to you, it's like you could buy a lot of cheeseburgers with that, but they don't know. They don't see the value in it. So they're gonna turn on you because they don't value what you value. And here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Elsewhere, a number of chapters later, I think in Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like a a pearl of great price that someone found and then sold all they had to get. So the kingdom's super valuable. And Jesus is saying, when you take the kingdom and you put it in front of people that they don't think it's that valuable, they may turn on you. Now, Jesus is not saying that we don't present the kingdom to people who aren't in the kingdom, that we don't bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to those who aren't in the kingdom. I think what Jesus is saying is, in the kingdom, there's a a set of rules. There's a, a way of life. And as followers of Jesus, we are not charged to put that in front of those who don't follow Jesus and say, you need to live this way. Meaning this, we don't judge Those, even with kind and consistent and compassionate judgments, we don't judge those who aren't in the kingdom. We judge those inside the kingdom because they see we judge each other with this consistent, compassionate judgment. Followers of Jesus say, hey, this is valuable. You should live in the way Jesus has called us. But those who aren't in the kingdom, and if you're not a Christian, uh, you should never feel judged from someone outside the church. It shouldn't happen. Jesus says, you don't give this because it's like telling you, you, you should follow Muhammad. Well, you don't follow the teachings of Muhammad because you don't believe in it. It would be ridiculous to have that expectation on them. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not calling outsiders pigs or he's just saying, here's a perspective, understanding they don't yet value the kingdom. They're not in the kingdom. You know, the apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, as followers of Jesus, this is First uh, Corinthians chapter five, we have been called to judge those inside the church, but not those outside the church. So as Jesus talks about this whole area of judgment, he's saying don't judge those outside the church ever, no matter what kind of judgment. But he does say, as you judge those inside, make sure your judgment is consistent and that it's compassionate. So as you kind of wrestle out your own life, uh, I have a couple questions that I want to kind of have you wrestle through. 
Before I ask these questions, um, I do want to say that if in this message you have in the back of your mind this thought, oh man, this is so good, I hope they're listening, right? Oh man, I'm going to send this to this person because this would be really good for them. I want to tell you right now, you missed it, okay? See back there, back there, that's the message. You missed it. It's gone. You missed the entire message. Jesus is saying this is about you, so you don't want, this is not about you to think about others. This is about you. So as you think about you, here's two questions I want you to consider. Are you consistent in your judgments? Is there a consistency? Or is there a hypocrisy? And secondly, are you compassionate in your judgments? And here's the deal. You probably can't actually even answer this very well for yourself. Because here's what we do as humans. We kind of always like treat ourselves nice. Like, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. So here's the deal. You need to probably talk to someone who knows you really well and is willing to be honest with you and say, am I an overly harsh critic? So here's a couple of questions as you consider these two to help you kind of flesh out maybe where you're at. Regarding, are you consistent in your judgments? First question, have you been dealing with any planks lately? And I'm talking planks like you. Jesus says there's only specks in other people's eyes. There's planks in your eye. Have you been dealing with any planks recently? Has there been a time recently where you've had to work through the painful process of surgery where God and you've admitted and accepted, this is needs to change in my life? If you haven't, you're not being very consistent because it starts, the two-step process starts with you. Secondly, how do you respond when someone points out a speck in you? You know, when someone says, hey, there's something I think, you know, I would like to talk with you about, do you respond with kind of this like deflection, the light all of a sudden shines on you and you're like, deflect the light, deflect the light. This kind of excuses, this blaming, well, my dad, if he wouldn't have, you know, or my mom, she, you know, and this is who I am. Deflection. You know, it's interesting, Proverbs says this, it says, do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. So here's the question. In your response to when people point out the speck in you, what does it say about you? Are you a mocker? Or are you wise? When people point things out to you, you're like, I'm gonna distance myself from them. I don't like them. Or when people point stuff out to you, you're like, I wanna spend more time with you. I love you. I need you in my life. Something to think about. Second question, are you compassionate in your judgments? Are you compassionate in your judgments? And uh, here's, you know, when it comes to harshness, I think often we become harsh in our judgments. And here's kind of two things to consider. Um, because we haven't gone through our own surgery. And it causes us to be harsh. And we've already talked about that, so I won't spend much time on that. But the second one is, I wonder if often our harshness is actually a cover-up, right? It's this cover-up where it's like all of a sudden we see a speck in someone else's eye and we don't really want to deal with our own stuff. And so we make a big deal of their thing to cover up our own thing, to deflect the light from our own thing. And I wonder even in David if this was happening. You know, David comes across this guy who like steals a sheep and he just overreacts with this extreme harshness, almost as like this deflection, because he doesn't want to focus on what's going on in his own life. Something to consider. 
You know, if you respond with this kind of harshness, maybe wonder and ask yourself, is there something I'm trying to cover up? That God's saying, this is, it's time to deal with this. So are you consistent in your judgments and are you compassionate in your judgments? Jesus says, do not judge. But he says not that we cannot judge. He says, do not judge with that critical, superior air of superiority and this, this, this hard coming down, this harshness of judgment. But he says, start with you. And after you've gone through the painful process, you can see more clearly to help those around you. And you won't make a mess of things. And I wonder, as we as the church, as Jesus' people in the kingdom of God, learn to live in this way, the world would look at us and say, maybe I want to know more about Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father, as we come before you, uh, God, we uh, are aware of our own plank. As a Christian people, as your family, we have had a history of judging those outside the church and destroying those inside the church. So Father, on my behalf, because of my own critical uh, nature, and on behalf of us as your people, we confess our sin. God, would you forgive us for being focused on specks in other people's eyes and not taking the first step and allowing you to deal with us. Would you forgive us of our sin? Would you change us? And give us the humility, the humility to allow you to deal with us but then the grace and compassion, even as we walk along each other and hold each other to the standards of the kingdom, we do that in such gracious and compassionate ways. So God, change us, form us into your image. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, so glad you joined us today. As you go this week, just remove those planks. It's a good idea financially. Wood's really expensive right now. Probably sell it. But it's really good spiritually. Have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.